Ireland facing Cuckoo. And a little cross in there, and it's come through here. McAteer! Amsterdam revisited. There has been agony this afternoon. Now there is ecstasy. Jason McAteer, Mick McCarthy's big gamble, gets the goal. Ireland hit the front. Holland have to score twice. This is the Green Machine podcast here for Mick McCarthy part three. Lads, what's it like listening back to Jason McAteer? Never gets old, does it? I'll think I will listen to this at least once every year for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's um it's one of them that just doesn't get old, does it? You know, no. it's a beauty, beautiful thing, beautiful thing. So, of course, this episode is going to be on the 2002 World Cup qualifying campaign. So, the last two episodes we brought you, last two Mike McCarthy episodes we brought you, were certainly difficult listens, difficult memories as well, two playoff losses. But finally, things get a little bit better. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but not the worst, is it? Yeah, certainly a nice one to look back at anyway, lads. So, we've come off the back of another unsuccessful qualifying campaign. Euro 2000, another playoff loss after a war-torn tournament, uh, a war-torn qualifying campaign, to put <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, and this campaign was a little bit less dramatic off the field, thankfully. Yeah, I was a bit, as I said, off air, I was a bit disappointed it wasn't a big old fucking war in the middle of it <laughs> we, we could yeah. chat about. Uh, yeah, that, that, I kind of noticed when I was doing the research for this and going through the notes, um, yeah, it was a little bit sort of after the last one. I was kind of this is a little bit. I'm not going to say boring, but quiet, a lot quieter, and a bit more how things should really, really happen um, during a campaign. It shouldn't be about fixtures um, getting sort of postponed and wars going on and all this kind of stuff. It should always be about what's on the football pitch. Although I know, considering what happens and what we're going to cover in part uh, four, there are little bits and pieces through this campaign which sort, they plant the seeds of what is going to grow next year, uh, well, in 2002. So the, the, it, it is not as explosive, that's a poor choice of words, as <laughs> the last one. But yeah, it is very, very, very interesting, as all Irish campaigns are. Yeah, um, parts of drama kind of leading up into the qualifying campaign. So prior to that, that campaign, we had a few friendly games. So we played the Czech Republic in Dublin, beat them 3-2. Paul Butler, of course, making his debut, Irish legend. <laughs> <laughs> then one nil loss to Greece just after that. Losing two two one to Scotland then, so a couple of losses on the trot. And then we returned to the US Cup for even more crack against the Mexicans and the US. And we oh, yeah. were we, we were fairly close to winning that one, lads, weren't we? I think that, that was all shown on Sky Sports, wasn't it? And I mean Roy Keane did bring up Mick McCarthy beforehand to say that he wanted to participate, unlike the last one. So already we're seeing little bits of progress, and unfortunately we're robbed, absolutely robbed, by yeah. um, by a US goal that was miles offside. Yeah, we were. Um, I don't know why we keep going back to this bloody tournament. Uh, Mick did vow he would never go back again after what happened in 96. But he went back anyway, and it was interesting because Roy did actually turn around and say, do you know what? I really, really want to play in this. Wink, wink. And then I'm sure Alex Ferguson probably heard that and went, <laughs> what are you talking about, Roy? You? America? Don't think so, pal. 
But I don't think Mick was too bothered because this gave him a chance. This is where Matt Holland really came into his own um, in an Ireland shirt because he'd made his debut against Macedonia uh, in Skopje in, uh, in October. And, of course, that was a terrible, terrible introduction to international football. Um, probably felt a little bit to blame for that. Mick does talk about that. But he really, really came into his own with Mark Kinsel in the centre of the park. And, yes, we were robbed against the United States. Um, Dominic they, Foley, a, a very obscure name. I mean, well-travelled man. I think he played in Portugal and Belgium and a few other places, to name a few. Bowls, of course, might look. Yeah, 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 got two goals, got um, got one in a 2-2 draw in Mexico where we went 2-0 down, uh, make experiment before 3-3, which was not successful, shall we say, and then we went yeah. back to 4-4-2, got back into it, and then, unfortunately, the 1-1 draw with the United States where they got a goal that was miles offside, and then we ended up beating South Africa 2-1, McPhail and Quinn equals... Uh, the goal-scoring record in that game, actually, which you know was 20 goals with Frank Stapleton, just just under 10 uh, years, you know, of 20, which is kind of pathetic when you think of the players we've had. But yeah, we should have won that tournament, really, Nick. But I think Mick was was happy overall. The performances were solid; they were good, and it showed that the effects from Skopje a few months previous were probably superficial. They were well; they were at least starting to heal, anyway. Yeah, things are certainly starting to take shape. And a few other little bits of news that happened in between. So, July of 2000, Robbie Keane signs for Inter Milan. And then in the August, a bit of drama there, David. Phil Bob and Mark Kennedy having their Starsky and Hutch moment. So, yeah, I mean, the Starsky and Hutch incident obviously wasn't the best preparation you uh, would really want. It was very, from what I got with the press, with some members of the press and some members of the public, uh, people weren't sure about Mick still. And the gun, the knives were still... Not out from, but let's say there was a hand, there was one hand on the knife um, with some members of the public and some members of the press because I remember my uncle at the time sort of arguing that, you know, the players don't respect Mick and he's out of his depth, he shouldn't be in charge. And I just found it very, very bizarre. And I think the press were also wrapping up the pressure a little bit as well. Um, I remember reading at the time that some of the press members were saying that, you know, the reputation of Irish football is irreparably damaged, which I think was a little bit over the top, but that's what the press do. They got, they got papers to sell. Um, wasn't the best start. Phil Bab, Mark Kennedy going up and going out in Dublin and jumping up and down on the car. Uh, Bangardis, uh, car's bonnet and getting done for it. And rightfully so, um, you know, they were never going to start in Amsterdam. I don't think Phil Bab was, was bouncing from club to club. I think he was a sporting Lisbon at the time or he'd gone, yeah, he was a right, Tranmere. Yeah. yeah, Mark Kennedy sort of was, was, was spiraling uh, down through the divisions as well in England. So, you know, he'd come back and do the odd job, but it wasn't really a major blow. I mean, if Roy Keane had been jumping up and down on the car, um, I'd say he still would have probably would have got covered up, but, you know, he still would have started in Amsterdam. But Mick was right to send the two of them home. You can't be having that going on. Uh, it was kind of funny there because Curtis Fleming, and who was always Mick's go-to guy, and uh, Graeme Kavanagh came in. And also Roy, I was very surprised by this, Mr. Professionalism, to come out and defend his teammates. And in the press conference, he said that, well, you know, they haven't killed anybody. So, you know, we need to kind of relax a little bit. And he felt it was harsh, which... Probably didn't mean it, because what we're going to learn during this campaign and probably in the next episode is that Roy seems to say things where he probably doesn't mean anything by it, but obviously with the press and the way the press are, they would turn things around and up the pressure on Mick. And that's what I got a lot from the, the research in this, that Mick is trying to tell you in his diary 
this doesn't bother me. I don't care about this. But you get the you get you still get the uh, the idea that it does. And little the things. Plan, the plan was certainly seeded, and th- this is before the qualifiers yeah. even kicked off. Yeah, this is literally like 29th of August, like three days, yeah. three or four days before uh, the first game. And you can kind of tell that Roy is starting to feel it. Uh, sorry, not Roy. Mick is starting to feel a little bit, which is unusual because, you know, for me, I always, as a kid looking at this, thinking we we are going forward. We haven't gone back backwards. We have gone forward since Mick took over. And now we're nearly um, four years into that. We're over four and a half years into this. So it's just, it just very bizarre for me looking back. But yeah, Roy's, Mick is feeling it. Roy is starting to, inadvertently or not, up the pressure on his manager a little bit. And it's just, you know... Having issues with with some of the nutritional choices of the Irish team as well. Yes, the infamous Cheesegate. Um, Doing the research for this, I did look at Roy's book and I looked at Mick's book and also I looked at some other bits and pieces. First thing, I just want to start off, anyone listening to this, um, and if you haven't read the Roy Keane book lately, go back and read it and you'll probably figure it out. That it's not a very good book, I don't think. I, lo- I love Eamon Dunphy. I've met him. I've read his books that he's written, and they're normally brilliant. I don't think the Roy Keane books are very good books. I don't think, and he has said this himself. He made a lot of money from it, but Roy doesn't give him much information. And if you go, th- if you look through his book when it comes to Ireland, it's it's it, it, a lot of it is just padded. It is yeah, padded. It's, it's very very minimal. Did, did you did you read the way I see it in a Roy Keane accent? The way I see it. <laughs> I yeah, I actually saw the way I see it. Um where he's actually laying on a the one with Roy Doyle. Yeah. I think that that's this I saw him reading that out on a psychiatrist's couch. <laughs> that's that's just how you know, you know, he's kinda of getting a lot off his chest. But the way I see it was just sort of very yeah, he, he it wasn't great. It was sensationalized at the time. The whole thing would make really ramped up the sales, you know, and, and the whole For thing. For sure. Happened. Yeah, it was impeccable um, timing. It it was. And I mean he one of the famous things from it is the cheese gay thing and he shows up and you know, he says that some of the lads sitting at a table eating cheese sandwiches. I couldn't believe it. We discussed diet. Now, this is in the hotel in Amsterdam before the match. It's the night before the match. And then, basically, he starts having a go, asking, where's the fruit, the cereals? Apparently, there was none available. And he ended up having a takeaway pizza because the hotel couldn't provide him with anything. And then... No magic brownies in Amsterdam, no? No magic brownies. (laughs) Um, And then, basically, just, you know, Ian Evans turns around and says, well, you should have asked for it. And he goes, well, I did ask for it. Now, what other people have said about it, um, about that particular incident, was Ray Tracy, who was in the five-star Hilton Hotel. Now, five-star Hilton Hotel, so nothing wrong with the accommodation there. And he's in the dining room. And basically, he says that we had a buffet breakfast and a buffet lunch on the Friday. Following an afternoon, uh, nap sandwiches and snacks were available to the players and were hungry prior to an evening training session. Following training, the team had dinner around 7.30 p.m. and they ate a full dinner with pasta, fish, chicken and meat. And then basically, uh, someone else turned around and said that Roy Keane showed up, walked down uh, into the dining room before training session around 5 p.m. He demanded to know where was the pasta. Ian Evans turned around and says, we ate it all. And uh, Roy wasn't happy. He goes, what did you say? And Evans repeated jokingly, we ate it all. And apparently Keane kicked the table and stormed out in anger. And uh, Keane refused to have dinner with the rest of the team and chose to eat pizza in his room. So... You know, you're already seeing things aren't getting off to, to the best of starts. And, yeah, I, that's always been an issue for me, the whole Cheesegate thing, because that has been a massive stick 
and a massive knife to throw at the McCarthy regime. And to be honest with you, I, I, I would go what the others say. I think that would be ridiculous to say that you're staying in a five-star hotel and that you're not going to have the right food. Yeah, so in the lead-up to this campaign, lads, Holland, Portugal, two European Championship finalists, and then you've Estonia, who were a bit of a, a bit of a thorn in that draw. Cyprus, always a difficult place to go, and then Andorra, which is great for steam, but not great for football. So just a little clip that we digged out from one of the archives from Sky Sports, just um, on Mick McCarthy saying how important it was to play the top two sides first and what a bearing that was going to have on the group. I pushed for the, I pushed for the away game first uh, and Craig Brown was a great mate of mine. We've discussed a number of things and it, one of his was always get one of the top teams away from home first. Because if you do, you go away, and, even if you go away and get beat, I know it's a bad start to the campaign, but it's not like being at home and getting beat. If you get beat at home, you know, like England did against Germany, and wonderfully they've done well, wonderfully well since to, to qualify. But if you get beat in that first home game, oh, the, the, the atmosphere around the place then, and, uh, and the, the expectation level drops, and people think you're out of the competition. Whereas if you lose in Holland or lose in Portugal, it's probably expected anyway, and you have a chance to turn it around with a, with a home game to come. So we kick off the campaign in Amsterdam, lads. 2-0 up after 65 minutes, absolutely playing the Dutch off the park. To this day, Probably the best Irish performance I've ever seen in my short lifetime. Yeah, this was, I thought this was excellent. Um, and looking back on it as well, you just see, like, I mean, that's the top Dutch side that they were playing against as well. And yeah, and I, I know Mick, in reflection, thought, you know, it was a hell, hell of a game. Um, and he was very, very happy to, to get a point at least, especially being 2 0 up. But I mean, I, th- I thought it was just incredibly brave of Mick to go with those two, two away games straight off. I mean, you know, where we are now in Irish football, I think if you go against your top two two seedings in a group, you know, you're, you're basically setting yourself up for a huge fall. If you don't get a good result yeah. against them, um, you know, you're, it's just a real big struggle afterwards. I mean, imagine if they'd have lost to Holland and they'd lost to Portugal, you're, you're kind of out of it in a way. So I thought it was really, really brave, first of all, that he chose to go with them. Um, and I, but I think the whole thing of what you're saying, all, all the kind of preamble to this campaign, and Roy's challenges with Mick and stuff, and that they sat down and had a you know professional chat and said, this is how we're going to really give it a go with this one. That was just off the back of the, the last campaign, obviously. And I think then, you know, we're, we're looking at, we're able to look back reflectively on it and, and see how Roy behaved. And obviously it's all going up towards what will happen in Saipan. But, you know, I think it was a real professional campaign and, and this set the tone, this, this game here, going over to Holland, and playing in Amsterdam, and um, as you said, brilliant 65 minutes. Um, they were just superb, Ireland, and um, even the goals, just just amazing goals. Oh, the McAteer yeah, really goal. Great goals. weak foot as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought also the Robbie Keane goal was superb. The build-up yeah. to Robbie Keane goal was amazing. I, I, yeah, we were outstanding, and Mick was obviously le- learning from his um, predecessor, Jack, because it was for the Italian 90 campaign. He decided to go with the two strongest our two strongest competitors in the group away, which was Northern Ireland, funny enough, and uh, which it didn't turn out to be, but on paper was Northern Ireland and Spain. And we fa- played them both away, I think getting a 2-0 um, a loss in Spain and a 0-0 draw in Belfast. It almost didn't quite work out for Jack because uh, he had injuries and stuff. 
But that goes to show you the confidence Mick had in the team, and rightfully so, because he mentions in the diary, and I don't think any, I think we'd all agree in this, that that Ireland team that should have qualified for Euro 2000 would have been competitive in, in Euro 2000 as well. Um, I had a, the, the balance was just about right. We still had Dennis Irwin, who would obviously was still at this time, had retired from international football, um, but was still playing for Man United week in, week out, and doing the business as well. Uh, it was a good Ireland side, and his, his confidence was well placed and yeah I was just reading there he actually sent Bernard he was supposed to go himself but couldn't and Bernard Byrne went over our good friend Bernard Byrne of the page uh, went over and he got the results that Mick wanted in terms of the fixtures it speaks volumes about some of the work that Bernard did should we yeah. have won that game lads I mean oh yeah I think didn't Holland score fairly swiftly after after um, McAteer score but do you think those cheese sandwiches had, had anything to <laughs> to do with Conceding yeah, that two goal lead. Uh, yeah, I look back at this and, and one thing I, I kind of think, as I said, this is the first game of the campaign. And one of the things that just struck me watching back the highlights is, you know, the importance of, of Robbie King, uh, sorry, Roy King in this campaign throughout anyway. Because I know he missed a few games and stuff, but I think in the last one, the last campaign, I think I think I made the point that we needed McAteer and Keane really to step up now. They were, they were the senior pros. They were going to be setting the tone. We had Robbie and Duffer coming into it. Um, you know, it's, Erwin, great servant, he stepped away from it, but we had Kelly and Carr fighting for that position. Finnan comes into it late on. You know, yeah. this was a really, really positive start. This was like Mick's real team, I think. I, that's how I feel. Yeah. This is like Mick hasn't got much of the kind of Jack's era players anymore. This is his own side. He's got more of a settled side as well. You know, he's gotten with Shea in goal for a lot of it. Um, and I, I just thought one thing that really struck me was I can kind of see it in Roy Keane's performances throughout the campaign how he was so determined just to get into the World Cup because yeah. he, if you speak to a lot of ex-Irish players, who's the best player you played with, we know what a great player Roy Keane was, but they said that he set the tone in every way, in his tackles, in his defensive duties. But one of the things that Keane is very under, uh, underrated for is his passing. And he, yeah. there's some moves and chances in these Ireland games if you look at the highlights of this campaign. And it's all set up by Roy Keane. His driving passes and playing here's forward one, and really attacking. It's, it's here's amazing one for you, Martin, to see. Here, here's one for you, Martin. I mean, United fan just like myself. Yeah. Having watched Roy Keane for years in a Manchester United shirt, I'd argue that this campaign was some of the best football he played, including for United, um, even in 1999. I would say that this campaign is the one of the best uh, footballing performances that we've seen from Roy Keane. I yeah, mean, I, I would agree. Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah. And that, that, includes, that includes 1999. Yeah, yeah, definitely, I think. Because I think he he had just matured as a player and he, he just knew he was the proper leader now. Like, he was, you know, he'd, he'd done his contract negotiations with United and he was going to be on parity with any player they signed. So he knew, I'm going to be the top earner here. He's the top man at Man United. But when what I love to see about him in this whole campaign is uh, is just, I, mean, I don't think you can deny it, you can't accuse probably me of United bias in this respect. He, this is when Roy Keane established himself, I think, as a proper world star. And that's the, that's what sets it up, actually, for disappointment of him not going to Japan for the World Cup because he was really on the rise here. This is him at his very best, I think. Um, and, and in contrast to that, when you see, I think I mentioned it in the last podcast about Mick's campaign, you know, we had players who, when the top teams come to Dublin, their, their best player used to always perform. And I think this is really where when Ireland played and Roy Keane played, Roy Keane always performed and he brought such a difference to them then. And I, I just think he, he really inspired the rest of them here. And 
you know, he's even he seems to just be involved in nearly every goal that Ireland scored in this campaign. I know that's ridiculous to say, and when you look back, I've proven wrong, but he just seemed to be like because he was winning well, the ball. Well, certainly some of the, certainly a lot of the crucial moments, a lot of the crucial yeah. goals he was. I mean, the Dutch goal away, the the two Dutch goals at home, he was involved in the build. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I just think as well, McAteer to be fair, uh, um, to give him credit here. I mean, the goal was great, but I mean, he he really put in a great performance in in a lot of these games as well. Um, but that goal, the first goal, um, well, uh, sorry, the, the McAteer goal, it's a brilliant little goal. It's all everyone combining for it, basically little flicks and tricks, yeah. and then it goes off to him, and he hits the shot with his weak foot. So um, brilliant. Really, um, I, I think with Roy this campaign, you know, we touched on the special defence ninety eight one. Roy was very up and down, you know, bit of a headless chicken, trying to overcompensate for the the, the talent or dearth of talent that he probably perceived was around him um, at the time, rightly or wrongly. I think with this one, it, it just all came together. He was a lot. You know, you can always accuse players of you either. Accuse, players seem to get accused of either being a big time Charlie, where they only do it in the big games, can't do it in the small games, or only do it in the small games. When it comes to the big games, they just cannot do it. They can't put it up to the top stars. Roy Keane put it up to anybody. His levels never dropped, and that is such a rarity in football. Doesn't matter who he was against, Holland, Portugal, as we're going to talk about, or Cyprus. Or open Reykjavik against uh, Iceland, against an unfancy team uh, where we desperately need to win. He just did it. And that was make, really makes him a special player. Now, my opinion is about Roy Keane. But I, I get a lot of um, lot of stick on the page when I put a post up on, about Roy Keane and a hashtag legend. Listen, you know, we won't talk about Saipan just yet. But whatever he did off the pitch, on the pitch, he was a legend. He was phenomenal. And that cannot be forgotten. And we're going to talk about it during this campaign. Yeah, I think that that's the thing. I think he really did set the tone. And I think he inspired the rest of them. And they, yeah. he, he demanded so much more of them. And he made them better players. I mean, they were good players, but I think he made them better in that team. Oh, yeah. The other thing that struck me is I think, you know, Mick over the years has been accused of, you know, not attractive football or a little bit dinosaurish and things like that. This was some great football in this campaign, I think. If you look back at the highlights, and I'd urge everybody to do so, if you look back at the qualifying campaign, Ireland were just quick and did things quickly. I mean, we scored a few goals from our quick throws. We'd win a throw, take it yeah. quickly, and we were in behind their fullback, and we scored goals from it. So, and that, that even the goal um, that Keane scores later on, um, I think it's against Portugal, it, yeah. it, it's, it's, the, it's the goal from a quick throw. So, he just really, I think he just set the tone that we're going to do things quick. A lot of energy in this squad. And that's what I think the kind of hangover from the, the 2000 qualifiers where some of the lads had gone to the end of it and they weren't, they're not going to be part of that anymore. And this was a new generation of players and, and you know, the opportunity to qualify for a World Cup. Yeah, the tempo that really pushed on. Yeah, the tempo of that team was something else. I mean, something that we haven't really seen since. And a month later, we got a Lisbon Stade de Luge. The Stade de Luge before it was fancy. I mean... I remember watching this game because I'm, I mean, a Portuguese dad, so I had kind of, I didn't have divided interest. I was always going to support Ireland, but I remember watching this and thinking, this is, look, it looked like the new camp, the, the old stat that lose, like it was absolutely massive. It just seemed to go on forever. The stand seemed to go on forever. It was absolutely huge. And correct me if I'm wrong, lads, from, from my memory, because I was quite young, but I, I remember us getting played off the park in that game. I remember likes of Sergio Canseseo, Luis Figo. All those big names just absolutely run a riot. They they really play with the ball in the deck, Portugal. I remember they're a very progressive team. 
just came, um, well, you don't come third or fourth in the Euros, but they, came, they got to the semi-finals just like Holland. But I just remember us really struggling in the in the first stages battered. of that game anyway. Battered. We were battered. Um, yeah. We were really... Portugal were class side. Holland, um, you must not forget, they had a few retirements. Dennis Bergkamp was one of them. Uh, still, still like a galaxy of stars. But they'd also had Louis van Gaal, who... Yeah, on, managerial change as well. Yeah, you and, you know... Portugal didn't. They had continuity, and yeah, they, they're a phenomenal side. And we were yeah. battered, but you know that's that's okay. That that's going to happen. And I think during this one, I remember when Conceição scored. It was a lovely finish, actually. Uh, Alan Kelly had no chance. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful goal. But you know we kept battling, and that's something that we probably in the previous campaign, you know, where probably Yugoslavia or Croatia, you know. The heads dropped. In this, we kept battling away. And there was that real... Not only did we have the quality that we showed in, in the Netherlands playing a good football, we also had the ruggedness, the doggedness, and the, the belief that we would obviously see at the at next year's World Cup, where we just didn't give up. And it was the complete... Ireland were the complete package, in my view. And, and this was just... this was We didn't know it, really, at, at that stage. But this was this was an example of that. And, and again, another thing I looked at in doing the research for this... Um, obviously, Matt Holland with the Eagles scored a screamer. I'll never forget that. My brother and I jumping up and down, pissing my granddad hey, downstairs. He made a habit of that, didn't he? He certainly did. <laughs> that was just that was just a top top goal. Um, yeah, again, anyone listening to this, please go back and take a look at it. But I remember just reading about the papers, and again, poor Mick. Uh, Roy shows up late to deal with an injury. He leaves a message. Um, so he's he's basically he's. he's Bit, bit of a niggle. So he stays back at Man United to get it sorted out. Fair enough. They've got the absolute best facilities at the time. So he relays a message to the to the FAI. But for whatever reason, it doesn't get to Nick uh, to Mick. And a newspaper makes a big deal about it. And he used to headline war with a picture of the two of them. Um, Mick, yet again, was sort of hint in the diary. Oh, this doesn't really bother me. But you can kind of tell it does. And then after the game... And it was kind of funny looking at the two sides of it, where, you know, after the game, Mick throws his arm around Roy, and Mick in his book goes, war? What war? And then Roy's book, you know, uh, the following year, it's like, stand next to me for 15 seconds for the paper, it'll look great. (laughs) And then then he proceeds to write about, you're a fucking wanker, you know. Uh, Yeah, you can see things still aren't great, are they? Like The newspapers are catching up on it, and knowing what we know now about how these things work and have more involvement with the Irish setup and players. You'd have to think there's no smoke without fire. Yeah. Yeah. It's I certainly, think even, it's certainly even forecasted th- things, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Even think about to this though before, this is a time for social media and things like that, but you were hearing from like the fans were hearing, I'm sure that, you know, like, what, what it was like in the camp, you know, you would hear, Oh, I saw this player the other day and everyone you've got to remember Roy King was such a big name um, at that time and, and a big star of Ireland and stuff. So the question I think most Irish players even now who play Roy Keane get asked is, what's Roy Keane like? What's Roy Keane like? So um, that was a thing that was even coming out then. You know, anyone who met a player was asking, oh, oh how's things? And, you know, loose lips and stuff, I think, you know, we, we all, Irish fans, I think at that time, we all knew what Roy brought football-wise. But everyone knew he was a bit contrary. Everyone knew he was moody. Everyone knew what he was like. Um, you know, and, and, and that was it. That, that was just it. And, um, yeah, I, I think... Yes, it's kind of interesting, I think, in the context of that, that everyone just thought, well, 
you know, we, we've got Roy Keane. He is moody, but he's a player who can do it. And I think that's what the players probably put up with as well, in a way, because you're not going to not put up with your best player, even if he is stroppy and things like that. So um, we all knew that this was happening in the background. And, and in a way, many people would have thought, sorry, felt sorry for Mick in a way that you're, you're trying to manage that. And that was the problem that obviously it just came to a head later on, as we'll see. So we've two points in two games, away results in the against the, the top two seeds. And then we play Estonia at home and win 2-0. Mark Hinsley getting his first international goal, I think, and Richard Dunn nearly killing Mark Doom, <laughs> if, I, if I remember correctly. Absolute thunderbolt into the back post, nearly knocked him out. And the lights went out in that game, didn't they? In yeah. Lansing Road. Yeah, I remember watching that on the telly um, just before it, the lights went out. The, I'm surprised it didn't happen more often, actually. I think those lights were only in, in about seven years, funny enough. Um, Thought they'd fall down rather than go out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah, that was a very comfortable win. Um, this was now, this was a more... There was always, don't mean to go on about the last campaign, but you always were a little bit nervous about the Irish team. Just a, always a little bit of doubt, a little bit of nervy, nervy feeling about the team. This was different. There was just a real composure about the Ireland team now. Very professional, very composed, and it's they, they could go through the gears. And this was just a very, very comfortable performance. Um, that Estonian team wasn't bad. I think I think Holland no. only beat them in stoppage time. I remember. I remember Holland were nearly out of it, I think, if they were to draw with Estonia. And that was kind of later in the campaign. I think they ended yeah. up winning like 4-5-2. Four, four, yeah, like yeah. yeah, they scored a couple of goals in the last minute, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, a de- decent side. So, you know, not one of those, oh, why didn't you beat them 7-0? You know, no, 2-0. Yep, I'll take that. Home or away. A, a win's a good win. And, you know, Mick was asked at the end of it, um, you know, are you happy? And his response to the press was, well, I'm not having to listen to the bullshit I've had to listen over the last three months. That makes me happy. And, you know, mic drop, I suppose. Yeah. And then a month later, we played Finland in a friendly, my first ever Ireland international. Oh. So, uh, yeah, kind of emotional watching this now. I I think it was the first game I was actually allowed to be brought up by my cousin. So, Steve Finnan, I remember, great goal. Mark Kinsler playing a long ball and... I think Finn and rounded the keeper, if I remember correctly, and then Steve Staunton scoring an absolute belter and free kick. Yeah. I think it was the last kick of the game. I remember they scored, and then the, the whistle went. It was amazing. And we finished the, the year in 31st in terms of the world rankings, and Mark Hinsler got our player of the year to, to round off 2000. So just to start off 2001, the granny rule <laughs> kind of started off the year. So on the 7th of January, Stephen Reid declared for Ireland, and there was a project. I think he played, or no, he was approached to play underage for England. Don't know if he had any underage caps for England, but he was certainly very highly regarded in Millwall. So that was a massive coup. And then a couple of weeks later, Mick McCarthy approached Clinton Morrison. And of course, Morrison was was eligible for about five different countries, wasn't he? Wasn't he eligible for England? I think Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago. And of course, Jamaica had just gone to the World Cup in, 19, uh, in 98, hadn't they? So... I think there was a little bit of a battle there, and he was scoring goals for fun in, in the in the Division One at the time, Championship now. So yeah. coming up to so two major coups, I mean two two big coups, and two lads that actually went to the World Cup. So the twenty eighth of February, which is actually yesterday, twenty years ago, believe it or not. So the game with Denmark was abandoned due due to frozen stands. So if you see footage, any news footage or any pictures, the pitch is completely snowed over, but apparently it was still playable. It must have had the, uh, the orange ball available, but it was called off because of the, of the terraces. And we put this up on the page yesterday. 
Mick actually stated that this was a crucial time of the qualifiers because Ireland were unbeaten in about seven games or something like that. And the team was absolutely depleted. There was a few injuries. There was a few lads that couldn't travel over to Dublin for the game. And the Danish team, who were quite strong at the time, were at full strength. And he anticipated losing. And he kind of felt that because that game was called off, it helped to keep that momentum going that was in the qualifiers. So even though it was a friendly you know, if, if you're not meeting up that regularly for games, the, the taste is always going to stay in your mouth, isn't it? For the next time you meet up for when we were playing Cyprus away, which was always going to be tricky. So he, so interestingly, he did cite that as a real, um, a really important point of the qualifying campaign that that friendly was called off because a loss would have, you know, might have set the tone too well going into the next few games. And of course we won that game, the rearranged fixture 3-0 just before, the finals themselves the following year in 2002. So, sadly, before the Cyprus match, so this brings us up to March, so Mick McCarthy's dad, Shirley, passed away, which which was very sad. And he was in Cyprus at the time, wasn't he? He would have been in, in, uh, in the camp at the time, just before the game when his dad, when he got news that his dad had died. Yeah. Um, he actually went to see him beforehand. Uh, he tells a lovely story uh, in the... Uh, in his uh, diary, if I if I may read it out, I feel, like Michael, I feel like Michael Aspel. Um, my father Charlie is dying. His cancer has caught up with him. I break away from the Scots session in Dublin to go back home to Barnsley and say my goodbyes before we fly to Cyprus. I just want to tell him I love him one last time. Say see you, good night, and God bless. Dad is surprised to see me and ask me what am I doing there. He tells me to get back to work, to go to Cyprus and do my job and do Ireland proud. And then eventually he would get the call on the Thursday morning, four days after he says goodbyes, that yeah. his father passed away. But you can see where Mick sort of gets his bullish um, attitude from there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it says a lot about Mick, doesn't it? And yeah. I don't think that gets talked about enough. It's it's quite poignant that he took the Applewell job earlier in the year, wasn't it? Because they play in the same stadium. Yeah. Yeah, just, I, I remember just, that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's strange how football works out like that, isn't it, really? Like there's all little links to the past and stuff and and things like that. It was um, yeah, it's lovely words that. But anyone who's met Mick will know that they wouldn't be surprised by how he would have dealt with that classily as he did. Pure yeah. class. Thankfully, did his dad proud, and we got a result four 0 against Cyprus. Roy Keane scoring two goals, Ian Hart getting a penalty, Gary Kelly scoring an absolute thunderbolt. From what I remember, <laughs> I keep saying from what I remember because this is this is so hazy in my memory. But um, a, a very well rounded Roy Keane performance. I know we've spoken oh, a lot about Roy Keane in in the podcast so far, but I mean, you know, that was a complete performance, wasn't it? He he was class and that. Yeah, that was a real. I mean, this is what I said earlier on. You know, it doesn't matter who he's playing against: Cyprus, Portugal, Holland, Iceland. It doesn't matter who he's playing against. He ups his game and he expects those around him not to let the sander slip and to keep their concentration. And that happens so often, especially in international football. The Cyprus, no bad side. You know, no bad team whatsoever. Yet again, if you win by 2-0, 1-0, 2-1, home and away, you'll take it. You know, it's not how many can we score against these lads. It's get the three points, move on. And he was exceptional in this. And if you ever want to see his commitment, um, you see him at halftime having a go with Gary Breen. And, you know, Gary Breen's like, but we're, we're tuning a up, Roy. And he's like, not happy with it. And he's screaming his head off because he wasn't happy about some mistakes that were made. And, and that was yeah, pretty... Cyprus had a couple of chances in that game. We were very lucky. Yeah. Uh, it could have been... Constantino, who, who came back to haunt us a couple of years later. Yeah. No, no. It, it, it was a very... It was professional in a way, but Roy King was, was marvellous. And we were lucky to get the three points. 4-0. 
definitely, definitely scoreline flattery. Yeah, this was his 50th cap as well. And, um, you know, we, we got a penalty early on, obviously, after Keane had given us the lead. But um, the Keane's last goal is, is worth looking as well because you think there's 88 minute, they're sitting on a 3 0 lead, they're under no pressure at all. And he gets it just inside their half and he just makes this a great run forward and he flicks a ball over the lad's head and then he just finishes brilliantly. That's a really classy goal, that. You don't often see that much creativity. But again, I think it just, again, I keep using the words, it set the tone. You know, he's still yeah. driving forward. I mean, that, that's the thing against these um, the kind of minnows. I know that Cyprus come back and haunt us a few years later, but, you know, these groups where you have a top seed, it used to always be the thing as you would be happy with a draw away. You might draw or beat them at home. But these other games were so important, and they were important as well for goal difference, which you'll come to see at the end of the the, the, uh, the campaign. That that that's that's all it came down to. So you know, Keane, perhaps you know, being a professional and, and the foresight he's probably got is, you know, let's not concede, let's just keep driving and scoring goals because it, it could have come down to that. It could have well, it did come down to it. But it's yeah. like Keane was the only one who realised that in a way. Yeah, and on the way back from that, that game, that's another seed perhaps in the Saipan saga. So Roy Keane slating the Blazers, who were sitting in first class as the player sat in economy. So one of one of those famous stories that emerged and kind he of did prior to the, the World Cup. And he yeah. did it in the press. You know, what I make touches on this in, in his um in his book. I mean, if you got an issue with it, and listen, Roy is correct. He's one hundred percent correct. And Mick turns around and says, yeah, Roy is correct about this. You know, so I'll slap my own wrist. And I, I must admit, I've, I've dabbled as a manager. You even see it at McCarthy's Park, where he's sitting up front. And uh, the guy who's with him, the journalist, who is actually quite uh, embedded in this story, the whole yeah. Saipan affair for the Irish Times. We won't mention his name. But he's sitting next to him and goes, oh, it's always the same people up front. You know, it's like very tongue in cheek. I don't think Mick kind of really gets what he's saying. He's hinting at, oh, so is you and the Blazers, like, and the players are all the way back in economy. Um, that would be, why didn't, you know, that is not just a slap on the wrist. That's a, that's a bit of a blot on the copybook for me with Mick. You were a player. You traveled to America for the US Cup of 92. Jack spoke about it where all the players got absolutely shit-faced. And Jack writes about it in his World Cup diary saying, ah, oh, well, you know, I, I wasn't privy to, to the state the players were in because I was sitting up front in the nice cushy seats and they're all the way down the back. Yeah. And they're on a 10-hour plane journey. So what are you going to do? You're going to get hammered to make it, you know, go better. And Mick should have dealt with That is definitely one of the things Mick should have dealt with. He should have, you know, you shouldn't be caught in that trap. You were there. You were a player. You would have put up with this. You know what the players are going through. So Roy was 100%, 100% right to take issue with that however as always with Roy his um, technique in delivering this message and approaching the subject leaves a lot to be desired why doesn't he talk to the manager and say look I'm not happy about this why does he go to a newspaper I think this is just a pure pure and simply an indication that they didn't really have a great relationship even at that stage so you know he feels he can't probably go to the manager so he's he's speaking to the press who who you know that that, that was the kind of thing. It's like, in a way, it's like a dual management thing, and I feel sorry for Mick that it was ever like that. But it is because your star player and you are just at odds with each other, and the press must know that because they're giving little snippets and sniping a little bit in the, in the oh, press yeah. with their kind of it. reference to what. Yeah, they're loving it. They're selling probably papers on the back of it. So, you know, Roy is just coming across as all professional, but then he's not kind of consistent with that, and he's and he's sniping it 
in a way, Mick and the FAI in, in the press. But, you know, yeah, I agree. Mick, Mick should be the one raising this or, yeah. or checking that. But, you know, I think, again, Mick probably just innocently thought, well, you know, this is this kind of makes us a bit more resolute as a team. It kind of hardens us. We're not all luxurious, pampered footballers. So when I can get them to rise up and, and battle in a match, it's because they, they're used to just kind of toughening out these kind of situations as well. So, you know, just give them that, that whole kind of group mentality, I think. So back-to-back games against Andorra, lads. So a 3-0 win in uh, the Mini Estadio, I believe, the, the Barcelona Reserve Stadium. And prior to that game, strangely, Ireland received an anonymous tip that up to six Andorans were ineligible to play in the game, having previously represented Spain at under-20 level. So an obscure one there. And then, of course, sandwiched in between the uh, the home game against Andorra, Bernard O'Byrne stepped down as the FAI CEO. So the home game, 1-0 down against Andorra, went away with, with a 3-1 win. A few fans, I remember at the time, were kind of saying, well, there's your two games where the goal difference can be improved, completely gone. I mean, a 3-0 win... 3-1, 3-1 victory at home. And then just after that, so the 22nd of May, Clinton Morrison decides to choose Ireland over Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago in England, which was great. And then comes up to one of the most pivotal games in the campaign and another Roy Keane masterclass against Portugal at home. What do you remember from that one, lads? I, I remember being very like the the uh, away game. We were just for the first under half, the cash. Oh, we were dreadful. Oh my God, Steve Staunton. Yeah, Ian Hart as well was a bit, oh, a bit dodgy that day. Richard Dunn as well. Um, although putting him next to Stan probably wasn't the best thing. If I, I love Steve Staunton as a player, right? Not as a manager, um, but as a player, and you know he is a legend, and he he's the only Irish player to play in all of Ireland's World Cup matches as a centre back. I think he leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, Brilliant on the flanks for us, right, right back, left back. I think he played right mid, left mid as well for Ireland. Um, but as a centre back, not particularly good. Always, always capable of a brain fart. And he I mean, was. That was seen. I, I know we're going to touch on the Holland game later, but I mean, he, yeah. was, he was off against Holland as well. But yeah, even even in, in a game against Yugoslavia in Belgrade, where Gary Breen, another one, I know we have the song from another one who's, oh, Jesus Christ, how many, that lad would make so many errors in games. And then, you know, Stan can't deal with it. And you always kind of felt the Stan would switch off. And you get away with that a little bit on the flanks. You can because you've obviously got your central defender to uh, you know to cover your arse there, but not when you're a centre back. Chances are it's going to lead to a mistake, or your goalie has to get you out. And he was dreadful for this game, and so was Richard Dunn. And Jesus, was it really Kosh there? He smacks one off the post. Yeah, hit the post fairly early, didn't he? Oh Jesus Christ! I shot myself. Ironically, probably would have actually settled us down um, if we had a you know maybe would have settled us down if we had a gone down one nil and got back into the game. Because there was always that thing with the Irish team, wasn't there? The fear. <laughs> you know, yeah. either they're, they're going to score, we'll settle down, we'll play, or we'll score. And then we'll just like hang on to our, onto our uh, hats a little bit. But yeah, I just remember the first half being very, very poor. And then the second half, Roy, like, Roy was superb. And the goal, I know we touched on it early from a quick throw in, quick thinking, score. Such an unusual one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Rubbish goal. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and then unfortunately Figo, uh, I think came from another mistake from our back four. Yeah, um, shocking goal to concede, wasn't it? Yeah. I think we just just didn't clear the lines, and then ended up breaking down the flank, and then Figo headed it in. My two favorite players as a child, Roy Keane and Lewis Figo. 
So seeing the ball score was was a mixed emotion for me that day. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think again, like, I just can't eulogise enough about Roy Keane. Like he was, he was brilliant. This man of the match. He, you know, there's a brilliant clip as well of him ranting at Steve Staunton um, yeah, yeah. For, for one of his mistakes. Again, Richard Dunn. Looking back at him though, like this isn't the Richard Dunn that we could call Mr. Reliable in years to come. But like, this is him. Like he's only really quite an experience at this time in a way. But he's he, he was in there for just the mistakes and stuff. I mean, he lets the ball run across him at one stage, which any kid would know not to do in football. And it's just like calamity defending. We were really lucky to get a draw. Um, I think Roy, again, he, he used to just raise himself against the, the, the better players against him. He used to see that as a challenge and that he was proving himself competitively against them. So that's, again, why I think he, was, he, he played so well in that game. Um, and, of course, Eusebio was on the bench, wasn't he? Not in a playing capacity, <laughs> but um, he, he was, yeah, was there a, as well. So. Bit, of a, bit of a tussle after the game, wasn't there? McCarthy and the, the Portuguese coach. Yeah, yeah, he got basically before the game. Uh, it was Kuto, was it? it he was the, the yeah, captain. Fernando Kuto. Fernando Kuto, and he had an allegation, and he was banned, and he was taking Nandrolone. I think Edgar Davids would have suffered the same thing as well. There was a lot of the continent, top continental players on this stuff, and the Portuguese FA were trying, to, were hinting that maybe the FAI has something to play in this, and they were, you know, sort of propelling it and all this. And Mick made a comment saying, you know. Do you feel slightly responsible? And he goes, well, I don't remember sitting in his room injecting him with the stuff, so no. And, of course, the Portuguese <laughs> uh, took exception, a bit of a naughty uh, comment. Um, basically, it, it was a bit of a bad vibe for the whole thing. Apparently, the, PF, uh, the Portuguese FA chief was unhappy that he wasn't picked up in a Mercedes. He was picked up in an Opel uh, from Dublin Airport um, and all this kind of stuff. And he shook hands with the manager, uh, Oliveira. And uh, he said before the game, he gave him the limpest handshake ever. And, you know, Mick sort of started laughing at the awkwardness. And Yoran goes, uh, well, he won't be laughing after the game. And Mick says, all right. And he goes in, told the, told the players that. That's what was said. And then afterwards, you know, he thought, right, cool, the heads will prevail. And he went up to shake his hand. Your man just looked at him. And he's like, come on, are you going to shake my hand? And your man says something Portuguese and I think Mick called him an obnoxious little shit. Yeah. Uh, went after him. I remember seeing that actually at the end. We see him sort of like being, and then you just see Eusebio dragging him away, which I think is, uh, I think it's a great story. <laughs> I just remember that coach looking like Ned Flanders from, from, yeah. from my yeah. memories of that game. Yeah. 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 So we go away to Estonia, lads, a 2 0 win. So just to put it into context, that Estonian team wasn't bad. I know Marapoom is probably a player that a lot of people are familiar with, ex Derby, and I think he played with Arsenal for a while, but. As we said, the Dutch went and struggled there. The Portuguese went and struggled there. Mick McC or Eamon Dunphy rather actually predicted that the Estonians will win the game. Strangely, yeah, Keane was suspended, wasn't he? he got the yellow card yeah. in um, in Portugal. Um, yeah, yeah, he. Um, I, I believe actually Keane was missing from the Andorra game, if I remember, because if he, he got was, a yeah. yellow, yeah, because he got a yellow card in that one. Uh, he was be, be missing for the Portuguese game, so well done to Mick actually for for thinking that thinking that far ahead. Um, but yeah, going back to the Estonia game, Dumpy did say in Irish telly, you know, I, I see us losing here. It's going to be another Macedonia because we don't have Roy Keane, and it was anything but. It was professional. It was very. I just remember just being very comfortable. We scored early on, Richard Dunn in the eighth minute, and then I think we were two 0 at half time. And do you know what? Yeah. That that was it. The game was over. Uh, there was no. It was another no, another Matt Holland screamer. I think it was a fair distance outside the box. That boy only ever scores screamers, Nick. Yeah, he only yeah. ever scores screamers. <laughs> 
Ah, uh, yeah, it, it was just very professional. Stan, I know he broke the caps record with his 89th cap. It was, it was just, it was so uneventful. It was that professional. It was just got the two points. Thank you very much. See, or three points. Thank you very much. Next. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember, I remember just after that game being being quite relieved and just thinking that all these games from here on in are must win. And and that set us up for the Dutch game. But just before that, and my second international, so Ireland against Croatia, and being absolutely devastated that Dabar Sukar had broken our heart, albeit in a friendly match. But when you're at it and you're, whatever, nine years of age, it's a tough pill to swallow. So we were tuning up. Damien Dub scoring, lovely little goal, cut inside, hit it with the left foot. Clinton Morrison, I think that was his debut, yeah. scoring on his debut. Yeah. Scrappy enough goal. I think, I think Jason McAteer actually um, had a little shot that was saved and then Morrison just tapped it in and then two late goals from the, the Croatians. I cried all the way home. It was only a friendly, but I cried all the way home. I was only a child, so it's, it's forgivable. So John O'Shea making his debut, Stephen Reid making his debut, Morrison, as we mentioned already, making his, his debut in that game as well. And also, not just to, I mean, this is how good Ireland were at the time. We were 2 all up, made nine substitutes. Substitution. Yeah, it really so, diluted the game, didn't it? Yeah, but that we yeah. could have been three, four up, and that was a decent Croatian side, albeit like well past their best. But yeah, we, you know, it goes to show you like we could have hammered this team, but we made John O'Shea sadly gave away the penalty, which you know, super Handball, good. Yeah, yeah, but no, it was. Yeah, it didn't bother. Sorry, you you cried. It didn't bother me. <laughs> I was I was nine in my defence. I was only a child and a wimpy child of that. So 31st of August, so in between the Croatian game, the Croatian friendly and the Dutch game, actually worth mentioning as well, I think I think England played Holland in a friendly the same day that we played Croatia. And as far as I know, the the um, the Dutch beat the English and I remember Mick McCarthy kind of saying, well, they're going to be full of confidence coming into the game against us. Um, but sure, it didn't really make a difference in the end. So yeah, so the the playoff draw, not the actual draw per se, but in terms of who we would play, should we get a playoff, was made, and it did transpire that we play a team from Asia. And as we know, the the AFC or the Asian Confederation wouldn't be the strongest. And I think the group that we were kind of looking at would have been Iran or Saudi. Well, it was it was Iran or Saudi Arabia or Bahrain? I think so. It was looking fairly promising if we did secure that playoff. And then the first of September. We witness one of the best ever games in Irish football history, the 1-0 win against the Netherlands. Uh, David, you were at U2 that day I, in Slane I was. Um, I don't know if it was second prize or first prize uh, that day. There was only two places to be in the country, and I, I think I got the best one. I remember, <laughs> I, I really do. I, I remember U2. I was a massive U2 fan. Got to see them in Manchester, funnily enough, um, a few weeks pri- previous in august and there was a concert on the 25th and all the tickets went on it was the start of the internet ticket sales and my brother went in i was on the the credit card line couldn't get through my brother went into hmv um Ticketmaster used to be in hmv in grafton street and i remember we tried to get tickets we couldn't get tickets they're all sold out and a bunch of u2 fans uh who were queuing there from the previous night basically decided to um, put a few bricks through the window of Ticketmaster. And Ticketmaster was taken out of HMV, by the way. And uh, subsequently, HMV would close years later. And I remember there was going to be a secret concert announced that you could only... Basically, you can only have one concert in Slane Castle per year. That was the law, because it's such a massive operation if you ever go to Slane. They shut down the entire village. It, it is a huge, huge operation. And there was rumours they were going to do a second one because U2 had the power at the time. Bertie Harm was sort of a very 
he won. You know, he. I suppose he was a young T-shock, and you know, he kind of had his finger on the pulse. Wink, wink. And there was rumors, will they, won't they? And they did. They sold tickets for it. We got two tickets, and we had the greatest, one of the greatest days ever. And I never forget. We got there at about six in the morning. Queued outside. Got right into the pit. Not not into the sorry, just the pit outside the B stage, just the Love Heart um, part of the stage. There was also the pit inside the heart, but we were just outside it. And I remember there was rumours that they weren't going to show the Ireland match on the satellite because it was going to take away from the support act. Now, considering the support act was supposed to be the Red Hot Chili Peppers, sorry, Foo Fighters, Red Hot Chili Peppers were the week before. Um, it would turn out to be Ash, which I was like, are you fucking having a laugh here? You know, <laughs> like, you know fucking Ireland or Ash, you know? And uh, what they did was, what they did was they had a screen kind of in a distance, sort of like stage right to our left, but to, the, to stage right. And they had this massive screen and he had a sky dish. So we watched it off sky. It was the start of the uh, sky digital revolution. And they showed highlights of the first half. So we didn't get to see the second half. We only saw highlights. I remember just, I'm getting goosebumps actually thinking about this. I remember just standing there looking over and I could picture it in my mind's eye. And the first thing they showed was the players coming out of the tunnel. And then all of a sudden they showed, uh, do you remember Clybert's chance where he just like bounces across yeah, the post? Yeah, thought, thought it was in. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, like this is going to be fucking 4 or 5 nil, you know. This ending uh, where all he had to do was just lob it over, um, give it his head. And I thought, Jesus, this isn't great, you know. And then uh, magically I thought, wow, they didn't score. And then it just cut to the live Sky Sports commentary. And it was phenomenal. I mean, there was 80,000 Irish fans there on a hill, essentially, going all the way down. Most of the crowd was there. Well largered up. I wasn't. I was only 17 at the time. And I remember just like when Gary Kelly got sent off. I thought, for fuck's sake, it's over. So needless, wasn't it? It was so stupid, but Overmass had done the business on him. And I thought, oh, here we go. And then Finnan comes on. I think Robbie Keane came off for Steve Finnan. Yeah, that's and right, yeah. And this is what was talking about. left on. Yeah. And this is what I was talking about with Mick McCarthy. Mick McCarthy, during that campaign, and especially during the World Cup, got he got it. Something that Stephen Kenny needs to learn. He got how to make substitutions that counted and counted for the better. And Mick made so many substitutions that really, really got his points. That was one of them because uh, Stephen was set up the goal. I'll never forget when Stephen just hit the ball on his weak foot, goes over, here on the bobble, bang, top corner. The stadium, uh, the the place lads just absolutely erupted. It was amazing. He no club at the time either. No, <laughs> no, he was fucked out by uh, Graves Unis, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, a Blackburn, Blackburn, yeah. And I just never forget, like, just, oh, it was just amazing. And then it was literally just back to the wall stuff. You know, we had the, the mistake with... Uh, with Steve Staunton uh, trying to head it back to Shea Given and how that wasn't a penalty I'll never know and you know R- Richard Dunn yet again looks composed and he's trying to play it out from the back and you know he makes an absolute balls of it and I remember when Shea, Shea Given's rugby tackle yeah you know, I remember was, Hamilton I remember George Hamilton saying that's a penalty yep. yeah, yeah. he's like oh it's not, it's not. yeah Beglin go, oh we've really got away one there George and I, <laughs> good impression <laughs> I learned it from stalking him in Gibraltar. Man. <laughs> I studied his every move. If you're listening, Jim, hi, Jim. Um, but, uh, I remember at the end of it, it was so beautiful because the two lads I was with were massive U2 fans, but they didn't know anything about football. 
And on the way there, I was like, lads, in 1988, they fucking got rid of us with an, you know, they knocked us out with an away goal. In Euro Cup 94, you know, they got, they knocked us out of that. Anfield 95, all day I'd been building it up to these two lads because they, they, they weren't, I was thinking, you know, I'd, I'd, I want to be watching it with somebody who likes football because this is like a massive football match. And I remember just building up in our heads just all day, just constantly at them every hour on the hour. Lads, you know, we, we hold the Dutch one. Like, if we win this, you know, they have to win against us to finish above us. If they don't beat us, they can't finish above us. You know, essentially knocking them out, which is what we did. And I just remember at the end, like the three of us just in a three-way hug, just at the end, like, you know, that relief... And it was just, yeah, it was magnificent. I, I didn't watch the last fifteen minutes. I don't think. I think I don't know about ten minutes after McIntyre scored. I was like, no, I, I, I don't think I, it's only a child. Just remember, I was uh, and a wimp, as I explained earlier. But yeah, I just I just left the room. I said, no, I can't watch this. If if I leave, they'll win, and they, and they did. So I never saw the full time whistle. So uh, I didn't get that. I didn't it, get that full closure of it. It was it was incredible. I mean, we were so lucky. If we we played them off the park in Amsterdam for sixty five minutes anyway, and this and then Roy Keane welcomed them to Dublin with a, a nice cruncher. Well, you could get away with it back then, couldn't you? Yeah, um, just perfectly legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, smash them into the daughter, you know, in the first minute. Yeah. Uh, it was magnificent, and the atmosphere for the show later on was just superb. Uh, Moby was a support act. Um, which he was bumped up in the card, obviously, because the food Fighters uh, were taken out. Because the drummer had an overdose, I believe, and he was magnificent. And he got Ardlo Hanlon on stage to do my lovely horse. And I remember he just, <laughs> he was just like, um, so guys, uh, I, I heard you guys won a game today. I was like, yeah, you know, he just, he just knew, you know, he just knew what 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 to, what to say to the crowd. I mean, the crowd was on fire, and the show was was superb. And I remember during New Year's Day. Because where he does that with the Bono has the flag on him, and Bono was was famous for never wearing the flag. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> during the troubles and all that stuff, and he put the flag on him. Because we were all celebrating, and he literally um, right there in front of me on, on the uh, on the love heart, where where I was standing on the B stage, and he's like, just picture your eyes, and it's Jason McAteer, you know, and yeah, <laughs> and I know he was supposed to come on the stage at that stage, but he decided to go on the piss with Aldo, which. Yeah, that's a good story. Daddy. He tells it quite well. He's told it often enough now, but it is a good story. And I think, yeah, just just back to the game, it was just sorry, sorry, Martin. Like, it, sorry, Martin you're, sorry. I think I think you're a bit bit loud again. I'm like, sorry, or, or is that or is that just me? Yeah, no, is that yeah. better now? Yeah, good. yeah, that's that's spot on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Again, I think it's just a such an iconic kind of day in, in sport and even like Irish culture in a way because you do have the links to you two um, at Slane because you, you know McAteer's told the story of how he was invited to go and everything like that but uh, you know just so many images again no I know so many people who've got that picture signed by McAteer up in there in their mini bars and stuff I'll give a shout out to Sean O'Carroll our club secretary but uh, he, <laughs> um, he you know he, he loves McAteer because of that um, and you know that that that's the kind of a lot of our players have these moments. You know, like Houghton's had obviously the the great moments against England and Italy, but this was McAteer's moment, I think. Um, you know, and um, it was it was just a brilliant time, and and just the iconic images afterwards. I know the one that's often used then is the one with Mick shaking hands with Roy coming off, and they're not yeah. even really looking at each other. But it was a professional job done that day. Got lucky, but to beat them with ten men. 
Um, and again, one of the most iconic days in Lansdowne's history. Again, it's just absolutely rocking. And the put it into context, incredible. like that Dutch team was one of the favourites for the World Cup, the entire yeah. World Cup. Yeah, you know, to take and them to knock them out of it, it's brilliant, and that, that it just justified a lot of Mick's kind of whole Theaters, yeah. whole thing. You know, like yeah. he went with the risk of taking on the two top seeds, and he got results, and he and he hasn't lost a game in in the in the qualifying campaign, which is which is brilliant, you know. And again, the clean sheets again, you know, most managers will say you build your results at the back of defence. We we were incredibly lucky and like I've used the word already, calamitous of our defending at times. You know, we've we've made some great our goalkeepers made great saves as well though. Um, you know, and, and some dodgy finishing perhaps. But again, I think they just really this was the one and you could just see um, you know, McAteer the reaction to it. That goal was just incredible. Like the fact even Roy Keane loses himself in the moment of that one. Yeah. So, um, no, it's to just the, amazing. To beat, to beat the Dutch with 10 men is, is phenomenal. I mean, it's, and it's, it's a forward lineup. Yeah. Look yeah. at the forward lineup. They had Nisteroy, Van Hoydonk, um, Kleibert, yeah. Kleibert, and he had um, Jimmy Clyde Hasselbank. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was outrageous because, yeah, we'll put four strikers on. Uh, but you don't have anyone to pass the ball to them. Uh, you're, it's kind of a bit pissing in the wind, lads, but okay. We'll take it. Yeah. I, one thing, I actually watched the match live. Sorry, I watched the match back again. Um, the, the entire game. It's not even on the FAI gold this part. I thought it was hilarious where um, Yap Stam takes a shot from about 20 yards out. <laughs> it just like trickles off his foot and goes about 40 yards wide. <laughs> I, I remember Ian Hart taking a free kick from about, Jesus, 35 yards out, I'd say, and the wind just completely took it. Now, routine save for Vandasara, but I mean, Jesus, it was there was some, some hit in it. So, yeah, probably one of the best results ever in Irish history. And then that more or less guaranteed us a playoff spot, and that was the Dutch out. So all we had to do was beat Cyprus in a routine win, 4-0. And I think David Beckham had just scored against Greece, I think, just earlier that day. Great free kick. Not, not to speak about England for too long. And then Ian Hart did the exact same. Niall Quinn getting the, the Irish record, 21 goals. I remember Frank Stapleton was on commentary. I don't know who it was for. It must have been Sky. Yeah. So I was watching the game on RTE, and I remember it just cut him, and he looked like he was fucking raging. Oh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, have you, have you ever read his book, Frankly Speaking? No. I had it years ago, I have, yeah. Oh, it is. I read just it, a whinge, I'd say, isn't it? It's just a literally litany of fucking moaning. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, it's like the negativity coming from it, Frank. Jesus. Yeah. No wonder, no fucking, no wonder uh, Jack didn't want you to tell you 90. Yeah. No better vehicle for a moan. So the 4 0, I think we needed to win like 11 0 or something to, to overtake Portugal, but I think they hammered Estonia in Lisbon. And that meant that we played Iran in the playoffs. So prior to the game, the Iranian coach, uh, Miroslav Blazovic, I think he brought, jeez, who did he bring? He brought some team to, was he the Croatia coach in Croatia, 98? Yeah, Third yeah so, so prior to the game, he said we were the best team in Europe. But that he'd hang himself on the goalpost if they didn't qualify. <laughs> I, I think that's what we need. That That's what this podcast we miss. A bit of fucking death. Um, <laughs> he's, a, he, he's, a, he's alive and well for anyone wondering. Yeah. He, what was it Mick called him? A tulip uh, before the game. He's larger, larger than life. Um, yeah. Uh, but to be fair, I think we were the best team in Well, probably one of the best teams in Europe, definitely. Um, probably we have one of the best brands of football, certainly. Yeah, we were top side. We, yeah. we could do it against anybody. Um, was Roy Keane the best player in the world at the time? 
I best midfielder that, even. I would say there's a, there's a there was a huge argument that he was the best player in the world. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, he's in the argument. You know, it wouldn't be scoffed at if you if you uh, if you were to you know mention it and if you proved it, you know, you wouldn't be scoffed at either. It's we. It this one felt right, even though we were playing at home first. It did feel right. Iran and we should be confident going into a team against Iran. I know Mick used to always say, you know, why since when are we all high and mighty playing against minnows? But I, I think to be arrogant, the team, you know, Jack's team was arrogant. You know, when you look at them when he beat Northern Ireland three 0 and they've got to go to Malta and win a Malta to guarantee to go through. Uh, to qualify for the World Cup, you know, you see Packy Bonner and you see, yeah, that's it now. Like, I think now we've done it. We've beat Northern Ireland 3 0 at home. So, yeah, we're going to the World Cup. Just finish yeah. off this bit of business in Malta. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, that, that's confidence. A little bit of arrogance, but that, that's good to have on a side. And you need confidence on the football pitch. So, yeah, it was, th- this one really, really felt right. And I know uh, Roy was a doubt to miss this game. Apparently, he'd missed the last five games for United uh, with a, with an injury. So when he was going, when he was, you know, brought into the side, I thought, yeah, definitely. There's, there, there should be no, no fuck ups here anyway. Although <laughs> almost yeah, happened. And a routine win. And I just remember that game, like, uh, like I know we scored two goals, but all I can remember from that game was the Iranian keeper being absolutely all over the place. I think he was wearing trousers. And he was coming for every cross and not catching any. He was just he was just punching everything, but he was absolutely all over the place. But do you um, remember? Uh, but I mean, thank God for Shea Given. I mean, I know people say about Roy Keane being yeah. of the qualifying campaign and two or three, and, two or three world class saves. Oh, world class saves. The point blank one. Do you remember the point blank one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just switched off after going two 0 yeah. up. You know, we said like trying to get a third fourth goal, which would have absolutely killed the tie. Um, we just switched off, and yeah, thank God for Shea Given. He was immense. Two world class stops, world class. Yeah, again, I, like, I agree with you completely. Like, he he was brilliant in this game, and and it could have been so different, and it would have been so different going there if they conceded. You know, like if they scored the away goal, um, it would have been so different going there because you know we hadn't conceded a lot of goals in our in our matches, but it would yeah. have been a, a proper damper on it, and I think. McAteer did really well to get our penalty as well. He, mm. he really sold him for that. And um, again, I remember he, he did a little he, celebration he, after he won it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he put in a really good shift as well in that game as well, McAteer. And uh, Robbie got the, a, a decent goal as well um, to set it up for going over there. Um, again, again, sadly in the background though, is it all, was all the fury was all about. Um, Roy Keane and was he going to be available and stuff and it it's interesting kind of reflective on it now and I know we're going to be coming on to our uh, Saipan and the World Cup but in time but you know the fact he missed the last five club games but he made himself available with uh, from injury for Ireland in this game you know it's it probably one of the last World Cups he was going to get to um, I can't imagine that was very popular back at Old Trafford that he made himself available for this Um and then, shows the just shows the power Ferguson had over his international players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Keane was Scottish. Would this have happened? <laughs> <laughs> he would have put he would have put him out in a fucking wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. He was um, Scottish. But yeah, I mean, this is yeah. I mean, we've we've read so much stuff over this over the years, but we, you know, he 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 did bring a lot to it, Keane. Um, and yeah, it was a shame. I mean, this was it really the last his last game for 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 the. Um, for Ireland, like in, in 
in this campaign, basically, because he obviously didn't travel to Tehran then. Quick mention of Ian Hart, lads, because he scored the penalty in that game. Great campaign for him. I mean, we, 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 we didn't even touch on the amount of goals he scored. Look, they were all from penalties and free kicks, but uh, he, I mean, his defensive qualities were sometimes called into question in that campaign. For the most part, he was one of our standout players, so definitely worth a mention for Ian Hart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he, he did play really, really well, and, and he had the bottle to score them, to step up and take the penalties. I mean, in, in the context of it, Robbie was kind of in and out a little bit. You know, sometimes he went with Duffer up front instead of Robbie. Um, yeah. You know, Robbie's goals would even be even more if he was on penalties at that stage. Um, yeah, he only got two goals, I think, in the campaign, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, Roy King was the top scorer um, yeah. of the campaign, so, well, joint top scorer, I think. But, um, yeah, like, it, it, that's another thing, though, of the whole campaign. The, the goals were really shared around. And the interesting thing is when Keane wasn't playing, I know this is sounding like the Roy Keane show, but when he wasn't playing and we had... Kinsella or, or, or Holland in midfield, they seem to score as well. So it just showed maybe the way we were playing, it was benefiting our, um, you know, we were quite excited and, and, and attacking, uh, but it did really kind of give gave a lot of opportunities to our midfielders to kind of step up and score goals. And they did, uh, which so is brilliant brother. as well. So yeah, I so think as brother. well, Sorry, uh, no, just, just coming on the, uh, the forward, uh, thing. I mean, Robbie Keane they don't, didn't score many goals. He'd gone into Milan, but at this stage, he, I think he was back at Leeds on loan because um, he wasn't getting a lot of playing time. Uh, Tardelli had come in. He, uh, he'd replaced the guy that signed him. And this goes to show the strength of the team that our best... He didn't start that many games. No. no it was mostly Conley would, would play uh, and Doherty would play in some games as well. Gary Doherty, that's why we needed Clinton Morrison in because we, we were really missing uh, some strength and depth up front. Duff as well. Uh, was Yeah, Duff, Duff was converted into a striker. I remember I remember Mick McCarthy saying that he read Yap Stam's book and he said he hated playing against little and large, especially little, because the smaller player would be a lot more difficult to get away from. And he said the reason why he picked... Duff and Keane up front against Holland was because if he was playing against Stam, if he had two little lads spinning away from him, it was going to be much more challenging. So it just, it just showed that that alteration up front um, was was successful and also how much depth there was, which unfortunately we don't really have now. So we go away to Iran, lads, and prior to the game, Roy Keane is gone. Roy Keane's injured with his knee. And again, another seed, perhaps for that yeah. side pan, for that side pan argument. Yeah, this one, now, this is, this is, the big one for me. Now, we're, we're being fair here. And he did miss the last five games uh, for, the, for his club with injury. Now, what I would say to that is, and that wouldn't have been um, great for Ferguson. I know Keane insisted on travelling uh, to the game in Dublin. Because if you need Roy Keane, it's in Tehran. 100,000-seater stadium. Yeah, I mean, 2 nil. Hostile atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, 2 nil is a very good result. Um, but they get a goal early, it's game on again, and it's yeah. back to the wall stuff. And then you could be going to penalties or whatever. So I, with this, this annoyed me a little bit. I'm thinking about it, and this is what people. And I want to make this perfectly clear to people that are listening to this and probably heard about this. This is what happened. He, the very next day, according to Mick's diary, went to Mick and said, "Yeah, I feel fine." Or after the match, sorry, went, "Yeah, I feel absolutely fine. Knees okay, Grant." And then all of a sudden, the next day, he speaks with Ferguson and he just turns around and goes to Mick, um, I'm going back to Manchester. See you later, bye. My knee, my knee is uh, acting up. And he goes back to Manchester. Now, Mick was quite perplexed and I think he was a bit stunned because, as you said, Nick, rightfully so, if there's anywhere 
any time you need Roy Keane, it's in Tehran. It's to see out his result. And essentially, he it makes eyes rightly wrong. He kind of sees uh, Roy is kind of leaving him holding the bag a little bit, leaving the team. Now, people might say, but hold on, he he was he missed the last five games. Okay, yeah, but he wasn't fit for those. He's he is now fit because when he goes home, um, on the seventeenth, Ireland play on the fifteenth of November, and Roy plays. Against Leicester, 90 minutes on the 17th of November. And then we'll play at Bayern Munich in Germany on the 20th of November. Yeah. So, but you can see how that looks to the public and how it looks to the media. Yeah. And how, I mean, Mick turned around um, and said to the press, this is, he just basically said that, oh, Roy can't play two games in five days. Um, but that was essentially a brave face for the, for the, the press because the press are sharpening their knives. They sense the smoke and they're thinking yes we're there's fire here somewhere we're going to find this and yeah he, he he's obviously feels a bit let down by Roy now it turns out obviously we didn't uh, need him you know we got the job done but I thought that was pretty shitty and yeah he, he I mean he said he can't play two games in five days no he can play two games in three days 90 yeah. minutes and that doesn't look good and that is a blot I think that is a black eye for Roy Keane, I think that is a blot. And it's not just Roy, it's obviously Alex Ferguson as well, let, let's not forget. But I, I, yeah. I do think that doesn't look well, and Mick is right to be annoyed with that. Yeah, I think the thing with Ferguson at that time was he probably thought, well, I, I've read this somewhere and I can't, so unless I've made it up in my own mind to justify Roy Keane not playing. <laughs> yeah. But um, it could about also happen. But I think it was, you know, he wanted him back. He, he hadn't played for United uh, for five games and we said he wanted him back he had key games against uh, Bayern Munich at the time and things like that coming up I think he thought I think I've definitely read something somewhere that you know he said that the job is done you've done the job I mean if you can't go to Iran and get a result yeah. there you don't deserve to go to the World Cup and that's probably how he sold it to to Roy um, which you know if there was any hint of the injury niggling away at Roy and he's got doubts himself. Ferguson's used that to kind of get Roy back, basically saying, you know, you're, you're there, you're there. You don't need to go. You, you don't need to go. And you, But if you go and you get injured, you could risk playing for United. Then, you know, that kind of thing. That's where your loyalties also are. So it's an interesting one. But again, it sowed the seeds. And, and I think, sadly, you know, we know we went to Iran. They got the result, celebrating winning the World uh, qualifying for the World Cup. And, you know, then you hear the stories of them, you know, waiting for the plane to take off so they're out of the... Yeah. <laughs> you know, to the, drink their air So champagne. they can have a drink, yeah. The, so, the, game, um, the game itself, lads, I mean, I just remember before the game and, I mean, look, loads of images and videos and stuff have transpired, like, in more recent years where, you know, they went to warm up and there was, you know, missiles being thrown onto the pitch and the fans have been there for the whole day just, you know, gone bananas. And I think Mick McCarthy took the, made the call to bring them out and let the atmosphere die down before the, the game kicked off. But I remember as a kid, and just remember, as, as I mentioned already, I was quite a wimp. I remember they were reading verses of the Quran just before the anthems, and I was absolutely shitting it. I remember thinking, this is so intimidating because, um, you know, they'd all respond to these verses, and it was very, uh, very intimidating. It was, it was very, very bizarre. And I mean, look, if, if you're from Iran or if you're from the Middle East, that's very, very normal at a football match at the time. 
But I remember watching that as a kid and and thinking, oh my God, how are these players, how are the Irish players not absolutely breaking it? And I'm sure they just soak that up like they would in any hostile atmosphere. But I, I just remember that being so eerie, really, really eerie. It, yeah, it, it was bizarre, it, it, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I think as well, though, like the, the previous campaign playoff had prepared them for, you know, like we went out to Turkey and stuff like yeah. that. So, you know, you're prepared for hostile crowds. I think Mick learned an awful lot from that. But then, you know, he, he said, our team, my team's got to be brave. And, and that's what they were. And this whole campaign, they were professional. I mean, yeah, they had the job done when they, after they beat Holland to a guaranteed playoff place. But they still went on then and uh, beat Cyprus 4-0. They went and played again, got the 2-0 result against Iran. But, you know, they, they were a brave side. They did step up. And again, I think Mick, you know, he just, he really kind of stepped up himself as a manager then. And it was a brilliant idea bringing them out, you know, quiet the crowd and stuff. Mick speaks quite, quite speaks about it quite well, I think, as well, about yeah. that experience and how it was like the greatest kind of yeah. thing in his career and stuff. Because he, you know, I think he gives a lot of credit to Ian Evans saying, let's just go out there and see them. So, they, and so, they so the good up, yeah. So yeah, good, yeah. The they, they bring the team up. They get, you know, um, really hostile experience. But then when they qualified, Mick said they just changed completely and they were actually gracious. And, um, you know, and said well done and everything like that, which which is nice as well to hear. That's that's what it should be. Yeah. And another um, interesting fact: it was actually the first game in Iranian history that there was women allowed into the ground, and that was Irish fans. And I think it was one one media broadcaster Irish yes. as well. So she got so another another interesting one. She got pelted over with uh, missiles and stuff. Um, you know, I suppose that's the culture, unfortunately, over there. Um, but yeah, she got pelted with missiles. I remember the game. Uh, I just. I mean, yet again, professional, professional performance. Uh, we had a couple of decent chances, but we just saw the game out. Although I do remember uh, Shea Given made a very clever save. I think John Giles said in the analysis before it, he says... Uh, and he parry it and then he just kind of yeah. punch it while it was rolling on the ground, yeah. Given was always um, acute, agile. very agile and a very intelligent goalkeeper. Very intelligent goalkeeper. Where how many times do you see a player parry out to someone's path, i.e. Packy Bonner and bloody Scalacci? But he would, he'd always do that. Like he'd, he'd parry it and he'd sort of go and he'd kind of just knock it out with, with his hand. Because I know he started quite young, didn't he? And he made a lot of mistakes. He made yeah. terrible mistakes when he was younger. But this this is this is Shay Given now really coming into his own. He'd sat a lot on the bench because he wasn't getting a lot of game time for Newcastle. And he was, he was sort of watching Alan Kelly and Dean Kylie sort of come in to the fray and Nicky Colgan knocking on the door. So he was sort of, you know, he really was grabbing his chance with both hands, uh, pun very much intended. Um, but he was, he was excellent in this, uh, in this game. I mean, he was very clever. Johnny Giles said it depends on what the type of game um, Gibbon has will dictate what we do in the game. And he was, as always, Johnny Giles was uh, completely spot on. But uh, I, I was so happy. Even when he scored, I thought, oh, here we go. Yeah, you know, it was certainly, uh, given was certainly the the player of the playoffs, you know, yeah. between the two games. And this is just a little bit of audio that we have from the game when the full time whistle went. The final whistle sounds. Ireland are on their way to the Far East. Thoroughly deserved victory over the two legs on an aggregate of two goals to one. The late late goal by Iran, not enough to dislodge this Irish team, which thoroughly deserves its place. Still sounds sweet, lads, doesn't it? Just like that, Mike here goal. Yeah, BBC, I remember actually BBC uh, cut it out, didn't they? They cut out the audio because the game was shown on BBC as well. And they, yeah. cut, out, they cut out the audio of the game because all they could get was fucking get in there. You fucking, you know, just effing yeah. and blinding. That was brilliant. Uh, 
I remember looking back, well, looking back recently, not at the time. At the time, you just assumed that footballers are untouchable. But look, looking back at the game in recent times, I kind of wonder how there wasn't a pitch invasion after some of those hostilities, you know. We just have a little bit of audio of, of mixed reaction to qualifying for, for the finals. And very poignant moment because he does mention his father and his family in this little audio clip. Talking to the, to the TV afterwards, it was... Yeah, a lot of emotions going through my head there, I have to be honest. There's uh, the fact that the pressure, the relief, you know, so many emotions going around in your head. Uh, I have to be honest, uh, I thought about my old fella who, who died in the march before the Cyprus game. And, and I thought about Fiona and my kids and he start, I started to mention them, of course, and I know how much it would mean to them. And uh, yeah, the uh, I think I said on TV, the tough guy, gone soft for a while. It's the way we are, mate. You know, this this hard thing that you put on on the pitch and, and afterwards with all... It was very emotional. It, it was wonderful. It really was. So, 1st of December, lads, the World Cup draws made and very surreal feeling at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, finally, you know, I, I remember the Charlton era, of course. Um, I was quite young during that, but... It was sort of when you grow up and you you grow up in the rich in those riches which were the Charlton era, you're and we're not at a tournament. You kind of go, well, what's going on here? Like you expect to be at, at a tournament. You're at the top table. Remember, Euro '92 was bizarre. Euro '96 was bizarre. But so many years have gone by, then it becomes normal that you're not at a tournament. Although we were, we should have been at Euro 2000. And to see us finally at a tournament again was bizarre. It was unreal. It's like, oh my god. But I remember just being so happy for Mick. Um, he had taken so much stick in the press for so many years. And for those that were willing to give him a chance, as there weren't that many until we qualified, um, it was just, you could see the growth in the team and you could see us just develop into this proper side. And we were a proper team. And it was, yeah, it was just excellent. And I remember watching it and the guy made, uh, I think he was reading a poem. And I always remember it just finished with and young Ireland. I don't like poetry, as you can imagine, but I just remember the poetry, you know, the and young Ireland, because we had such a very young side, a very young, promising team, which you're thinking at that stage, God, you know, we're one of the best, we're one of the best teams in Europe here. We can beat I think, anybody. I, I think in the finals, we'd like the fourth or fifth youngest team in the finals, yeah. you know, on average. Yeah. And you know, that average is going to be brought down by the likes of uh, Steve Staunton and Niall Quinn. And then, you know, you're going to get younger players replace them and the O'Brien. You know, Clint Morrison's going to come into it now. He was, I think, 22 at the time. Robbie Keane, I think, was only 21. Like, this was ridiculous. You know, we, yeah. we this was brilliant. And we were set up. This is a young, very young, but very experienced and well-traveled side who's gone through Bursa, who's gone through Zagreb, gone through Iran. And you're thinking, this, this team's invincible. You know they 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 really you got the best player in the world in the, in the midfield you got um, arguably one of the best goalkeepers of his generation and uh, you got Robbie Keane who you know become a greatest striker of all time and Damien Duff and you got Stephen Carr who unfortunately was injured at this stage you had Steve Finnan coming in we just had quality all over the place uh, you know you had Ian Hart okay he's a little bit dodgy you know Stephen Reid coming through who was very he would you know really should have done so much more in an Ireland shirt and you're thinking. This can't go wrong. <laughs> this is a team that's going to be around for years. Mick and had, 17th in the world as well. Yeah. We've gone from 57th in the world 
to 17th. We've gone up 40 places, and you're thinking we're going to World Cup. Ranking points are going to be worth double. This is, you know, this is really um, a top side for years and years to come. Mick had finally cracked it. He had learnt on the job. The players had learnt on the job, and we were all in it together. And I just remember thinking, God, this is going to be amazing. Like 2002, bring it on. Yeah, this that that was the thing as well. Going up to World Cup, real high optimism, and you know, like yeah, you, you had really exciting players that were going to be unleashed in the world. Basically, like, yeah. in every position, we had probably you know you could name your kind of team starting player, but then you thought if he comes in instead of him, you're quite happy with that. It was like Carl Kelly, we're happy with both of them, you know, and it was it was really really good like that. And I mean, that was the you know even the midfield, the challenge was who was going to be playing with Roy. Um, you know, and it was going to be Holland or Kinsella, but you know, both of them. Well, they eventually both did start in the World Cup, but you know, they're, they're both capable of doing it anyway. It didn't really matter. They, they were, we were really at the top of our game then, and they had a lovely mix of experience and um, and you know, uh, and the youth as well, which was just going to be. I keep using the word, but they're just going to be brave. You know, they were just taking on everybody, and so yeah. excited for it. Um, when you think back to like the '94 World Cup, where a lot of them had been at '90. And famously, like the three young players then, like were known the three amigos, weren't they? Bab, Kelly, and and McAteer kind of linked into that, even though he's only a year older than Roy, <laughs> or year around the same age as Roy at the time. But um, you know, that was an aging team. This was a really young side going there, with but the mix was completely right, and this was a team that, you know, as David said, there we've gone through real tough experiences over the years under Mick, but they've come through them. They took on everybody. And they got the results. And I mean, it's incredible thinking that they were at that high level in the world rankings. Yeah, sir, certainly brought up one of the most exciting times in Irish football. And we'll be touching on that in the next episode. But unfortunately for today, it's all we have time for, which, uh, which is great reminiscing over 2002. So thanks again to David and Martin. And make sure to check out part one and two of the Mick McCarthy era if you haven't done so already. So the audio used in this episode is courtesy of RT and Sky Sports. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. But until next time, come on you boys in green.